0: Then you will know the truth, and the truth will
1: set you free. Do you believe in life after addiction? You better believe it. Now, the host of Life After Addiction.
0: Welcome back. So another episode of Life After Addiction. Bruce, this is our 25th episode, my brother. Wow. Yeah, man, yeah. And we're, we're in this cool groove. We're in this cool vein that we've decided that we're going to, uh, the next couple episodes, we're going to, um, and probably take a break in between, maybe with a guest or something like that. But we're going to hammer out the seven principles that are found in Lost and Found, Recovery in Christ uh, if you're, We have a lot of alumni that listen. If you're an alumni, these principles are very familiar to you because that's what you learn. But let me remind you of this. Uh, we, we think it's important. Uh, God's word says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. So, we're going to go through some of these because a lot of people haven't heard this. I mean, they maybe have read the verse, but they haven't heard our um, even our discussion. The alumni haven't even really heard us talking about it. Last last episode, we talked about virtue. This episode, we're going to talk about knowledge. Now, I want to start with this. Here is Webster's definition of knowledge, right? Okay. okay. <laughs> it says this. The fact or condition of being of being aware of something, the range of one's information or understanding, The circumstance or condition of apprehending truth or or fact through reasoning. So that's knowledge. Here's the verse. I'm going to read it again. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine Nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world through sinful desires. That's we always stop. We could drop the mic right there. Why are we teaching these things? The Bible's telling us that we can escape the world's corruption that's brought on by our own sin. So how do we escape this addiction? How do we escape unwanted sin in our life? The Bible's about to tell us, and it says this, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. It's what we talked about last week. And with virtue, knowledge. Today we're talking about knowledge. Now, go join us. This is 2 Peter chapter 1. Go join, read through some of this stuff. But today we're talking about knowledge. Bruce,
1: guide us in. Yes, sir. And that was a great introduction. Uh, man, I love the part about what it says just before Escape Corruption. It says you can partake in the divine nature. But God awesome? has a plan for you, not just to abstain from the things that are ruining your life. But to live life, to yeah. live a grand life, a divine life, yeah. And, and let me add to that as you're as you're
0: diving into because partake in the divine nature. Always, I just think of the supplemental verse where uh, we're told that um, for those who believe, right, we're told that the same power that rose Christ from the dead is now at work in those that believe. That's resurrection power. That we're talking about. That's why it's like silly to us to give all this attention and all this power to addiction. We're talking about resurrection, supernatural, divine power that God is
1: alive in us and can raise us from the dead. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, man, just to kind of recap from virtue, which is about goodness. Uh, last week, we talked about that and why it's the place we start and where God wants us to add to our faith. and just wanna say that it's faith and faith alone that saves you, but when we add these things to our faith, right. uh, not works, but belief, and our pursuit of these things that God is calling us to mature in our faith, then uh, this is how we escape the corruption. So once saved, always saved, not talking about that, it's, it's about your growth, and this is what we teach our guys uh, when they come to us in our program because you, you've got to mature in a way that you're strengthened enough to handle what it is that you're going to go out there and be uh, approached by now that you've been filled with the truth and and uh, been given a new path to walk in life because it's, not everybody's doing it. In fact, the majority of people are not doing it. So God wants to grow us in this. Yeah. Let me start with uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. This is just for the doubting Thomases out there. It is like, is there any place in the Bible where it just says that this is the absolute truth? You know, and uh it does. It's Second Timothy three sixteen. It says all scripture is breathed out, and some translations say um inspired, but I like the breathed out one, is breathed, is God breathed, and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in all righteousness. So what it's saying here in Second Timothy is that Every single word, although written by men's hands, authored these books in the Bible, from Moses all the way to John, uh, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write every word that's in the Bible. Right, And so it's, it's actually God's voice speaking to us when we read the Bible. It's, it's that, the root of that is God, is truth, and, and it's used for teaching us, rebuking us, correcting us, and training us in righteousness. So righteousness is the virtue, right? Yeah. Righteousness is the goodness. That's what we learn in principle one. And then God says, but here's how I'm going to train you in that. Hmm. And it's going to be in this knowledge that I'm going to lay down on you because it's all truth and you can believe it, uh, which is principle. The key word for principle two is, is truth. Hey, explain to the people before I
0: ask you the question. Well, I'm going to ask you. Explain to the people what you mean by keywords, because in case they didn't come, but you kind of inspired <laughs> a thought that we need to do an episode on the canonicity of the Bible yeah. and how it came. That would be a cool episode, and just the infallibility. But yeah, explain what what you mean by keyword. If someone's never come to you know a class or catapult or anything like that, what
1: do you mean when you're saying the keyword? Yeah, so each principle that's outlined in Second Peter. It's it's biblical meaning, whether it's virtue, goodness, or whether it's truth, or whether it was wisdom and knowledge, whether it's self-control, or these things that it goes over in these seven different uh, facets of how we grow. I, I've I've given them keywords to help us remember them a little bit better in the sense of principle one, which is about goodness, where do we find it, how do you know it's good? Uh, all these things. It has to do with us trusting God. Yeah, And so trust is the key word for principle one. For principle two, truth is the key word because we're seeking wisdom, knowledge. We're trying to find out what it is that we can train in our trust, uh, which is truth. So truth is, is the key word for principle two. Awesome. Thank you. Keep going. Okay. So we've just heard from Timothy in that so this, this I, I love to use this scripture because in it, it, just starting to talk about principle two, now that we're learning to trust something, here's where we actually apply that trust. And that is we, we've got to understand that everything we're reading from the Bible is absolute truth. In fact, Jesus warns us in this because, and, and, and man, I'll just say that there were false prophets back in Jesus' time and there's false prophets now, and, and and sometimes I think we look at the phrase false prophet and, and think, well, there's just an evil teacher teaching evil stuff, and I'll recognize that when it happens. <laughs> but no, it's all backed by Satan, who's very clever. He's the master of disguise and deception, and he weaves his web in with the truth. In fact, when Jesus was confronted by Satan in the wilderness, all three times that he was tempted, it was used in in combating the truth. He was defending the truth, and then Satan, after he saw Jesus doing it, because every time he tempted him, he says, but it is written, mm. right? But it is written, and he would speak the truth, and that would cause Satan to have to to, to back off and then come at him again with another temptation. And the third time Satan t- tempted him, he, he tried to do, he he looked at Jesus' strategy, because okay, I'll use your strategy on you, he used some truth in the Bible, but he twisted it. Yeah, And the same way he did it when he was in the garden with Adam and Eve to trick Jesus. But Jesus says, yes, but the Bible also says. And so he used a piece of truth, but warped its meaning, right? its agenda. And Jesus called him out on it and says, yes, but. That means you can't take just one verse. You've got to look at all, all of Scripture, all that has to be aligned. You can't. Misquote something or or misinterpret it to mean something else that you want it to mean, and and we see a lot of this happening in the church today. We see church even compromising the truth and allowing culture to uh, basically navigate the way in which we're teaching new generations about what God is, and we're leaving out big chunks of the Bible, and we're we're telling people to ignore certain parts of the Bible. And some religions actually have taken out taken some books out of their Bible or added books into it. Uh, and so when you when you get to some real some real heated issues like homosexuality and these kinds of things and what people are saying about what God says about it, man, you've got to be really careful because if you're not looking at the truth and the source of that truth, you can be very misled. Yeah
0: here's here's a, a kind of a practical painting of what you're saying. That there's always uh truth and things like that. Uh the enemy's gonna tangle in lies. And and I always use the illustration of rat poison. Now rat poison's like ninety nine percent good rat food, right? And then there's one percent that kills it. You know, and so I think that that I've always remembered that and so it resonates with me. You gotta you gotta know you got to have knowledge of what God says Uh, And then when you hear, every time I teach, and most of the time I teach Catapult, uh, I'm really encouraging people to study this stuff for themselves. If God stirs your affection for his word, don't just take my, you know, word for it. Go into the word. It's such an incredible thing. The Reformation happened in the 1500s, and now we have so many translations um, of the Bible. We have so many Bibles in our home, and a lot of people died to get that to us so we didn't have to just take some man's word for it because we couldn't read the language that he was reading god's word study god's word know it because man someone that has lofty speech is going to tangle up truth inside a little lie and it's going to kill you man
1: yeah in fact there's there's a verse that i love to go to and i've actually got tattooed on my arm When, when i was going through these principles myself in recovery uh, with just months of clean time and, and searching God's Word and God teaching me this stuff. I didn't go through Lost and Found. <laughs> I wrote Lost and Found. Right. I, I learned from the Bible. And when I came across this passage in 2 Peter, I was just floored. I was like, thank you, Lord, for giving me uh, something tangible that I can grow in because I was trying to go back to 12-step groups and it yeah. just wasn't working. And And Ezekiel 3.10 says... Son of man, let all my words see deep into your own heart first. Know me for thyself. Mm. So we can listen to other people, but if that's all we're doing and we're not seeking the truth for ourselves, we will be deceived. In fact, you should listen. I mean, the Bible
0: has the structure in place. There should be a pastor in care. There should be spiritual authority in your life. We're not saying don't go to church and listen to sermons. We're saying do more than just that.
1: Yeah, I mean... The, the four pillars are, you know, read God's word, prayer, fellowship, and take action. Uh, so, yeah, you, you, you're you including all these things. Now, this is the morning that I was saying that Jesus uh, spoke to uh, John while he was writing the book of Revelations. And so Jesus says, uh, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. and And so but the essence of what he's saying is that you're, you're only receiving part of the truth and you're not believing all of the truth. You're, you're handpicking certain selections out of the Bible and so you're lukewarm. You, and Jesus is like, I wish you were either hot or cold. Because you're lukewarm, you make me gag, you make me vomit, you make me spit in my mouth. like that's, that's what's happening when people decide to live 50 shades of gray mm. instead of the black or white. You know, It's either right or it's wrong. And where you get that source, you have to trust it. And look, so the sequence of these principles, man, are not haphazard. God is asking us to trust Him, and then He lays down the truth. And the truth gives us discernment. So when we go into principle three of self-control, we we have the ability to to decide like, and look at stuff because of this growth that God is leading us in, and in, in trusting in, in, in wisdom and truth and knowledge that we can have some discernment, and say, Oh, we recognize now and I can have some self control with that and we'll turn which the key word for that principle is turn and so we'll get to that next. But mm. but uh just wanted to share that, that piece of, of um kind of warning that that Jesus gives us when we when we when we decide that we're just gonna hand pick, cherry pick what pieces of truth that we wanna uh believe in and the others that we're not gonna uh, adhere because they're just not Comfortable, they don't fit our culture, they, you know, whatever that might be. Yeah, and so here, you know, I just kind of want to add a little to, to.
0: I'm very, uh, I like to exegetically teach the Bible, it's something I believe God's given me a passion for, uh, but I also like to bring it to um, what that means today, and practical use of it. And if, if I heard, 10 years ago, if I heard someone say, Hey man, here's the answer. Here's the answer. I'm about to tell you, like we just did, like dropping the mic kind of stuff. Like, hey, you want to escape corruption? You want to escape this sin that entangles you? Listen, I'm about to tell you. And someone started reading Second Peter one to me. I'd be like, virtue, okay, I could uh, supplement. I could try to be, you know, good goodness. I can, but but knowledge, man, I don't even know where to begin. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean knowledge? I, I just I don't know enough of the Bible. I don't know enough about God. I don't remember. Uh, I could start to do that. I can, but I just don't know where to begin. And here's a cool supplemental verse. It's not about. It's starting is not about how much you remember from VBS when you are a kid or mm-hmm. how many v- scriptures you've memorized. This is beautiful. This is Proverbs chapter one. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Awesome. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Right. So I don't even know where to begin. It's the fear of the Lord, the va- the respect, the, yeah, fear. Like, yeah, you could you could say fear in its proper context of, man, God, don't fear man, right? Don't fear what they think of you. Fear God. But it's also just this, just reverence to God is where you begin. That's yeah. where knowledge will begin, right there.
1: Yeah, I always try to use this illustration to put things into context although it's not quite the same but here you go it's like if, if you were sent to Mars and you're the only person that's ever been to Mars and you had this book that says everything you want to know about Mars I mean you would probably sit there and read that minute by minute every day until you felt comfortable enough to go out into that space right? Yeah. Now the difference here we're surrounded by a bunch of people who have been living here for a very long time and so we have this misunderstanding that we already know like how to live on Earth but um but still, if you were given this book, it said, and you could trust it, and it was the truth. You know, what did Webster say? The fact and the reasonable you know, equation to the fact and how you uncover the truth and, and all this kind of stuff. But uh, it just, it, it's, uh, it's interesting how we look at the Bible in that it's a suggestion yeah, and, and not a, a command. And, and so that's where we're getting. There's so you know.
0: many people.
1: So speaking of Proverbs, there's Proverbs fourteen twelve says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Mm. And man, I love that verse because there's so many things that we'll say to ourselves a like, lot. Yeah. And, and looking at culture or where we might obtain truth, even in the, in the fashion which Webster says, I mean, you're just gathering facts and you're having reason yeah, that sounds right. That looks like it's out. Well, and then we look at everybody. Man, a lot of people are doing that, so that must be the way it is. Um, but we're, we're again, another red flag comes up here and says, "But the way that seems right to a man, meaning if the knowledge and wisdom is coming up from our own understanding." And Adam, you know, like the twelve steps, and you know, I I don't want to. Again, we've said this before, we don't want to beat those programs up, but there's parts of what they teach in that program that are just so misleading. And if I'm searching after a God of my own understanding, then can you really call him God? Mm. If it's my own understanding, if it's my own wisdom, if so, my own rational thinking that haven't I already put God in a box? Right. And then,
0: and, and and just the aspect of God saying, "Lean not on your own understanding," yeah, right. It's kind of contradictory. And, and and from my experience, when I when I live a life contradictory to the Word of God, it ends really bad.
1: Yeah. So this leads me to this um, man. It, usually, when I teach this class, it's two hours long, right? Uh, and we've got four minutes left. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to I want to just end with this part. It's this really great section in, um in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 12, where Jesus is kind of showing his frustration with the religious leaders because they're asking him for another sign. And, and it's just like they don't have any trust in, in him. They're looking for truth. But every time they're given it, it's not enough. And he has to do it again. And finally, he just gets to this point. And he says, I, you know, I'm not going to give you another sign. Not one more hmm. except for the son, uh, sign of the son of Jonah. Yeah. And they are just like, what? Okay, we know the story of Jonah. He gets swallowed by a whale, and so what are you, what are you talking about? You're not going to give us another sign. We already know that story. And and then what he was doing was he was setting a precedence to say, okay, now we're going to shift this to witnesses. We're going to shift this to testimonies. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I've laid down the knowledge for you. I'm giving you the truth, but you just aren't listening to it. And so now I'm going to shift this to... Testimonies, witnesses. So didn't Webster say, like, when you're laying the facts down, you're, you're, you're reasonably searching the facts based on history, based on uh, facts experience. of other people's experience. People have witnessed these things. And so these same things we use in a court of law today, that, you know, not just on one person's testimony, but on, on many people's testimonies, do you find the truth and believe the truth, right? Yeah. And so Jesus just starts taking this path. But listen, when he goes into, it gets really deep here, because he not only brings up Jonah and Jonah's testimony of the truth. Now, what did Jonah? What was he tasked to do? He was tasked to go into the city of Nineveh, right, to to share the gospel with these this broken generation that were the enemies of the Israelites. And Jonah didn't want to go because he hated those people. And so he he did all these things to to skirt around what God was commanding him to do, and, and finally the story ends with with God having him swallowed up by a whale, and then Jonah repents. He spits him out on the uh, on the shore. He goes into that of a teaches preaches the, the truth. Everybody gets saved, and he comes out right. So that testimony of Jonah is what Jesus is saying. This is the only sign I'm going to give you. Is man, look, I can sit here and lay down the truth to you all day. I can show you all kinds of miracles, but you just it's never going to be enough. So now I'm going to bring out witnesses. Jonah's the first one. He knows what the truth does. He's seen it firsthand. It saved, it saved an entire town of like 200,000 people or something. Uh, could you imagine that? Like going to the city of Murfreesboro and, and just the mayor coming out and laying down some truth and everybody gets saved? Hmm. N- I mean,
0: yeah, that's putting it
1: into perspective right there. So that's why he's calling Jonah as a witness. And then the next he calls as a witness is... Man, let me
0: let me hit that, because that's, that's something that's like I never thought of it from the aspect of testimonies and the revelation verse that we always... Blood of the Lamb, word of our testimony. So I always thought when it was... And, and both are 100% accurate, but I always thought... Only thing I thought was, I'm going to give you the son of Jonah, meaning they didn't understand it then, but when he's dead for three days and rises again, they're going to connect those dots, Right as that was his son. He was in the belly of the earth for three days and came back. I didn't think about it. At that point, he's making it about testimony.
1: That's cool. Well, he also includes not only Jonah's witness of all that happening, but he includes the whole 200,000 people that got saved. Oh, yeah. He says it will be there. They will be the one who judges you. Hmm. So Jesus is like, man, I'm not even going to be the one that judges you. It's going to be the testimonies of other people who already know the truth, have died and gone. They're going to be the ones when you approach me in times, that they're going to be the one who's going to stand up for you and judge you because wow. they know the truth. They're the witnesses of it. He talks about Queen of Sheba who came to visit Solomon, the most wisest man in the, in the world. He wrote the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes. God gave him the gift of wisdom and so all these people came from everywhere. This Queen of Sheba came from a distant land just to hear him speak truth. and And so she would be the witness, Not even Solomon, the one who spoke truth, but the witness to the truth. She would be the one who judges them. And then he finishes with this interesting concept. And so he just goes right after this Queen Sheba being witness to the truth uh, and saying that uh, now someone greater than Solomon is here and you still refuse to listen to him. He's like... Man, I'm just beating a dead horse here, really, because it doesn't matter what I say, you're just not going to believe me. And this interesting part here, verse 43 of chapter 12 that goes through 45, that he gives this thing that just seems kind of comes out of left field when he talks about this evil spirit that leaves a person. So he goes right from telling the story of these witnesses to the religious leaders, and then he goes right to this thing. And... I want to preface it with we've just been through what is good, right, and what we can trust. And so you have to think about that when when he's talking about this. So I'll, I'll, I'll give the interpretation of it, but he, here he goes. He says, verse 43, When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert, seeking rest but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person which I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept, and in an order, Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. So the person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. Now, what is Jesus talking about Mm -hmm. here? The interpretation of this is, is this, is that when we seek God and we're learning to trust him and find out what is good, and we're going into this this truth and we're we're seeking truth and what's happening is when we're seeking truth and we're trusting god is we're we're emptying ourselves right the bible says pick up your cross uh follow me daily you must die to yourself right so this salvation this trusting god and, and moving in that direction it's this emptying of myself everything that i know goes to the wayside it needs to come from something else. So it's this process of maturity and growth that I'm emptying myself, but I'm, I need to be filled with God. And you've heard me say this before, is the biggest tragedy to me in the Christian world, I'm not talking about the world So just in the Christian world, is that people come to salvation and that's it. Hmm. They get their fire insurance card, think that's all they need for life, and they don't grow, they don't do anything. They go to church every once in a while, and they may say a prayer every once in a while, but get saved and then nothing, right? That's not the will of God. In fact, in Second Thessalonians it says the will of God is that you be sanctified, right? Meaning that just the same thing Peter's saying is that you add to your faith these things. You, you're supposed to grow. But if you don't grow then what happens is the evil that was once in you that flees because Jesus enters your heart, right? And, and, you're, and you're, you're emptied. But if you don't fill that with the knowledge and wisdom of God, if you don't fill it with the goodness of God, then what happens is you end up worse off than before. Because what Satan does is his strategy changes. He's like, he's doing everything he can to distract you, confuse you, deceive you, to keep you from knowing the truth so that you don't get saved, right? That you, you, you see it as a lie and, and you walk around like everybody else and you're just not a believer. But once you have surrendered and you've emptied yourself and you've let God come in to be the Lord of your life and your heart, Jesus, Satan has to flee. He flees, but he regroups. Hmm. And and this, we tell these to, to guys all the time, and it, it's something that it can be confusing if you don't truly understand the meaning of it. It's like, okay, you say no, you're saved now. Now watch out. You know, Watch out, right? Because the, here comes the evil one. His next strategy is he doesn't want you to influence anyone. He doesn't want your life to be prosperous. He doesn't want you to receive more knowledge of God. He doesn't want you to grow so that you partake in the divine nature. He doesn't want other people to see your glory, your joy, all this stuff. So he, his strategy changes to now that you know the truth and you've been saved. You can't do anything about that. Right. But he can keep you winding around in a little web of mess, not growing, not experiencing the goodness of, of God, you know, being deceived by mistruths, not good wisdom, and and people look at your life and they, you call yourself a Christian and go, man, your life is just like mine. Like, why do I have to surrender all that? And I, you know, because Satan's coming to get you, man. He, he he's not giving up on you. And if you don't grow, if you don't fill yourself with the wisdom and knowledge of God to have discernment for these things that are going to come at you in life, then what Jesus is saying here is that man, you're going to be worse off before. You think what you had before in you was evil, man? Watch out! Here comes sevenfold, hmm. right? Because the enemy of God is trying to destroy you. And what does it say in Second Peter? It says, "When we add to our faith these things, and when we grow in increasing measure, then we'll be productive and effective in the kingdom of God." Like that's, I think that's verse eight in Second Peter, uh, chapter one. If you do these things in increasing measure, then you'll be effective and productive. But if you don't do these things, meaning you're leaving your house swept, empty, clean, right? Not filling it with these things that God's asking us to do, grow in increasing measure, then you will be ineffective, Mm. unproductive. And that's exactly where Satan wants to keep you. Great perspective. Great perspective, Bruce. We're out of time. Give us a takeaway, a
0: one-sentence takeaway on knowledge. Oh man, the truth. What does it do? It sets you free. It sets you free, man. Amen. That's it, guys. Life after addiction. See you next week.